Now, welcome to another week of Careers for Years with Marielle and Kinesia. Guess what, everyone? Marielle is back. Hey, everyone. It's so good to be back. Well, this week, now we have a guest. Could you tell us your name, please? Hello. My name is Lacolian Washington, and I am the executive director of the Community Music Center of Boston. Wow, that's like a mouthful for me. It is, and so is Lacoli in Washington, so putting those two <laughs> next to each other, it's uh, it takes some practice. So could you give us a little more background about yourself? Sure. Uh, born and raised in Dallas. Grew up in what most people now would refer to as an underserved community. It was a predominantly black community. That was a neighborhood that I grew up in. Um, and it was a small town at the time. It was even a smaller town, but just north of Dallas called Denton, Texas. And that's where the University of North Texas is. So I kind of grew up in that town. And then my mother uh, moved me and my sister to Dallas proper uh, when I was in like fourth grade. Um, then I went to the University of Texas at Austin. I was one of those fortunate ones who... Um, was able to get a scholarship to go to school. And when I got to UT, I was a chemical engineering major, but I then switched to bassoon uh, performance uh, after year, after a couple of years there. Uh, and then I went to Manhattan School of Music for graduate school, and then I started working professionally from there. So I was a college professor for a long time. I taught at the University of Missouri, the University of Memphis. And when I was in Memphis, I started my own nonprofits. And that's the kind of the work that led me to Boston. You know, you grew up in Dallas, Texas. You've managed to get a scholar like a scholarship and you've worked your way on from there and it didn't make sense to me how the two states kind of connected Mm -hmm. but now that you were nonprofits, did you like connect with Zumix or did you connect with the Music City Center no actually uh, when I was in Memphis I started my own nonprofit actually uh, that was very similar to uh, the work that I'm doing right now with the Music Center it was much smaller because it was new um, and the Music Center is 110 years old so it's had some opportunities to grow um, but the nonprofit that I had in Memphis uh, did a lot of community engagement work, community-based work uh, all over the city, particularly in underserved communities and communities of color, uh, really focused in those communities. Um, and even with that work um, or in those communities, we were doing classical chamber music there. Uh, and so it was really just a great blending of everything for me personally, who I was as a human being, um, because I came from these neighborhoods I was working in or neighborhoods like them. Uh, but I was also a classical musician. Um, And when the opportunity came in Boston, uh, I put my hat in the ring. To be honest, I didn't know if I was ready for a job as big as this one because it's a quite large job. But I figured I'd give myself a shot, put my hat in the ring and see what happened. Um, And I ended up getting offered the position and, and my wife and my two sons moved here. So when you first joined the music center, how did it work out? You know, like, what did you start out from? Because, you know, everyone has to start from somewhere and then move their way up. Mm-hmm. Well, I was lucky. Um, I had done, before I moved to Boston, I had been a, a chief executive in an organization. It was a small one, but I had done that. But And I'd also run a relatively large teaching artist program. You know, 4,000 students were engaged in this program in Memphis as well. So I did have a sense of that kind of work. Uh, when I moved to Boston, uh, the person who was in charge, his name was David Lapp, and he was retiring. And they were looking for someone to take over when he retired. And they looked all over the country and they found me. Uh, and so I was you know, really lucky. But the work itself, it, it was it's hard. It definitely is. Um, David was around for about 34 years. Uh, and so there are a lot of things that are inside an organization after someone's been there for 34 years. Uh, and so a new person comes in with new energy and um but overall, it's been it's been great. Uh, I got to shadow David in the beginning, which was really helpful because I got to see how he worked with the staff and, you know, got his thinking on the different programs. So it was good. So following from David's footsteps, 
you know, you kind of have a lot of years to fill. And I'm not saying like this is a competition or anything or like this is a record to break. But, you know, but kind of, you know, it's been 34 years worth of work and you've come right after him. Mm -hmm. You think you could kind of do as much? No, not do as much. I think I think I understand what you're saying. What are you? It sounds to me like what I'm hearing you say is what are the challenges of coming into an organization after someone's been there for 34 years? Is that yes? That's what I'm trying to say. Sure, um, and there are they are they are a plenty. I think that it helps me in my own thinking not to think that I'm trying to replace David Lappin. Um, he's a person who gave his entire life to that organization. Uh, his entire big chunk of his professional career was given to the music center and growing it. And so thinking that anyone can ever replace someone who gave that much of the organization is, to me, that's a fool's errand. Um, so I would not even think about trying to replace David. I'm just trying to be the next person who guides the music center into the into and through a, a portion of the 21st century. And if I can just focus on that, uh, then th- some of those challenges that you, anyone's gonna have when you're coming in, because that's a good question, it is hard to remind yourself that I don't, I can't, I could never be that person. Uh, I have to be myself, but also understanding that my responsibility to really live the mission of the Music Center, not only when I'm there, but also when I'm thinking about the work and what the Music Center is going to be in the future. How how did you find yourself working in music after following a different path before? Yeah, sure. Well, yeah, when I was an undergraduate student, when I started at the University of Texas, I was a chemical engineering major. I don't know. There was something about the music thing that I just missed, uh, and I didn't realize it how much of a part of me it had become. It was really while I was in school that I realized that it was something that was actually a part of me. And then I think about it now, and I didn't even know what being a musician was. I didn't know what it meant to be a classical bassoonist. I was I came from Texas and it's band central, so the idea of being a bassoonist, I didn't even know what that meant. But I did know that I wanted to have music in my life. I knew that I played the bassoon, so I guess that's what I'm going to I'm gonna do next. And I was one of the first people in my family to go to college, so to go from chemical engineering to bassoon uh, is quite a uh, quite a shift, uh, quite a change. Um, but my family, I think it helped that they didn't really know everyone in my family didn't even know what a bassoon was. Uh, so I think the idea that I was going to college um, was enough success on some level that I actually had some flexibility and some freedom to be able to do what I wanted to do as long as I went to college at a school like the University of Texas, which is, regardless of what anyone else says, is the flagship university in the state of Texas. Um, and to get a degree from there, I think that that was kind of enough. And I had no idea then that I would be here, executive director of the Community Music Center of Boston. I really just wanted to be playing bassoon. Uh, that was what I wanted to do with my life. Um, but uh, life happens as you're going through it. And I've had uh, several opportunities to pivot, and I've just taken advantage of it. I never really wanted to do the same thing forever anyway. I'm sorry. It's just like thinking about it, imagining that since I still have a, like, I don't really have an idea on what I could be for a career as far as I have as being a lawyer Mm -hmm. and the fact that you know you were the first one in college kind of the first one to go to one of the first people to go to college in your family Mm -hmm. is still kind of like astounding me I'm kind of somewhat awestruck you had the freedom and ability to like do whatever you choose and you ended up deciding to play bassoon classically Mm -hmm. so honestly what did that do you know it can open so many doors music so what happened 
I do feel, I mean, I was, and it's true, neither of my parents, my dad graduated from college uh, a year before I did. Uh, so I didn't grow up with two college-educated parents. Um, my dad was very bright, and he he went to junior college. And talk about persistence. My dad went to junior college forever. Uh, my As far as my whole life, I remember him taking a class, taking a class, taking a class. Uh, and then finally what he said was he said he wanted to graduate college before I did. Uh, so right <laughs> in the middle of when I was in school, uh, he really went full time uh, so that he could finish up. And he he beat me. Uh, he beat me by about, you know, by a year, maybe a year and a half. Um, but one of the things that I did have um, when I was in school, and this is something that was helpful for me, was that I had friends who had who were essentially legacy college students there. They had several generations of people in their college, uh, people in their family who'd gone to college, which meant that for me, when I was with them, they were almost my guides through what it was like to be at a university. Um, and so that was something that was really helpful for me. I had several friends who their understanding of life was, of course, you go to college, you get yourself a job and you have a family. And you know, like all those things were just very natural. They were expected. Whereas for where I was coming from, they were they were the dream. If that, you know, my dream scenario would have been these things that others viewed as just the natural order of things. And I would say that as the way that music helped me through that was that struggle of for me of like finding my identity not only as a black man in America but also as a black bassoonist and as a classical musician a black classical like finding myself in all those things really prepared me on some level to be able to take on anything so I could become a tenured professor at the age of 33 um, you know because that's not it's not that you know that's that's inside part of that struggle uh, for me. Uh, and so it, it actually, I felt really, I was fortunate that I had these opportunities to um, build my own power and my own self-esteem. So that's what led you to doing the things you, you do and where you are now. Well, now it's actually the things that guide me are, are a little bit different um, because go backwards a little bit. When I was an undergrad, I was getting ready to graduate and I didn't have a bassoon. I didn't have any money. Um, I had, I'd gotten a $2,000 scholarship to get myself a bassoon. Um, and I was a pretty good player back then. And I was playing on this master class, and there was this patron there and she's listening to me play. Um, I got to know her and I saw her maybe twice in my whole life. Um, but one day she saw someone that I knew at a party and this person was telling, she says, oh, how is that young bassoon player? And he's like, well, you know, he's doing well. He's getting ready to graduate, wants to go off to a conservatory, doesn't have uh, enough money to buy a bassoon, though. And she said, well, how much do bassoons cost? $10,000. Well, how much does he have? I had just gotten a scholarship for two. And she said, you tell him to go and buy that bassoon. I'll cover the rest. And so this woman wrote a check uh, that day. I won my first job on that bassoon, I got into conservatory, I won competitions on that bassoon. I mean, I, that was the instrument that started it all for me. And she made me promise that, um, it's on the letter that's hanging in my office still to this day. Um, and she made me promise that if I ever had the opportunity, I have to do that for someone else. So essentially what I'm doing the rest of my career is trying to, you know, pay that forward. Hmm. I think that there's something to be said about you know, the, the path that classical music allows you. But we also see at ZoomX that it doesn't have to be classical music, uh, working with popular music and and 
the different musics that uh, are close to people's hearts. I mean, there is something to be said about that. And with, you know, Lecolian's vast experience in working in music nonprofits, what would you say are the differences between working on each line of music or what are the common things? Yeah, that's a really good question, actually. I'm glad you asked me that question. The program that I, one of the programs that I led in Memphis was a teaching artist program. And we, it was, it ran the gamut. So we had hip hop artists, we had spoken word artists, we had classical musicians, people who had doctorates in violin performance. I mean, we really, it really ran the gamut. Um, and I believe that that is why that program, you haven't heard about it yet, but you will be soon. Um, it's it's a magical program. And the the magic of it was that the goal of the program was not to bestow some knowledge upon the young people. The goal of the program is to find ways to have them find themselves, whether it be through classical music or popular music or whatever. It didn't really, for us, it didn't matter. Uh, as long as we gave young people opportunities to find themselves via music. Some students, maybe they're not going to find themselves via music, but some are, and they need to have opportunities to be able to do that and to be able to really engage in it, like in a way that's uh, that's passionate, I think. Um, and so I, as far as whether or not it's a genre, it's jazz, cla you know, jazz classical, R&B, hip-hop, th those things, those are labels that we put on them, um, but they're music. And the people who love them love them because it's music. If you called jazz classical, people would still love it, right? It's it, this We put these labels on things that don't actually mean anything. When I think about what music has the opportunity to do is it has the opportunity to do so much. Music can be a tool for social justice. It doesn't do it readily, but if you let it, it can. And it's the same thing as a, as a tool for youth development. It can be that. It doesn't necessarily just have to be hip hop. It doesn't have to be violin. It, you know, every kid's going to develop differently. It's no different than a kid playing football or basketball, right? As a tool for youth development. It doesn't really matter as long as you're giving the student and giving young person opportunity to develop. Well, thank you, Lacolian, for this. Like, thank you for coming over. Thank you for joining us on our show and letting us learn a little more about you and having a giving us like a general idea on what's going on in the music center as well. Thank you for being so awesome. This was a great interview. <laughs>